I want to invite any children who are here to come and join me for a moment up front. And if you're worshiping online, to get a little closer to your screens and share a special moment with me. Oh my goodness, look at all of these folks coming forward. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. I don't think there's going to be anybody left in the sanctuary after all of you get up here. This is wonderful. So glad to see you in church today. <laughs> all right, come on up. Welcome, welcome. How many of you have a sibling, a brother or a sister? Yay, good. We've all got all these big brothers and sisters. That's so exciting. Yay. Well, let me tell you about my family, okay? I have a little brother named Madison. He's three, but he's three. Good. Well, I have one brother and two sisters. They're all older than I am, so I'm the baby of the four. I'm so glad. Yay. Good. So... Me, my brother, my two sisters, and my parents were all a family when I was growing up. And you know what? I have cousins and aunts and uncles. Okay, I have cousins and aunts and uncles, so I have a bigger family than that. But you know what? I also have a church family, and so do you. Look at all these people out there, and there are people watching online and people maybe who couldn't be here today, but they're part of our church family. And because we're family, we love each other. And that's one thing about family, we're always supposed to love each other no matter what. But you know what? Our church family isn't just the people at West End United Methodist Church. It's people all over the world who follow Jesus. We're part of the Christian family. So no matter what, we're supposed to love each other. So remember that you have your own little family, maybe the people you live in the house with, but you also have a family that goes across the world of people who follow Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for family. We thank you for those who love us and surround us with your love, whoever they may be. We thank you for our church family for West End United Methodist Church, a place where we can be known and loved. And we thank you for the church around the world, our Christian family, that helps us follow you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. I hope I can hear about all your family sometime soon. If you're three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Maggie and Pastor Brandon to Children's Church. Oh, good. Well, you can go with Pastor Maggie then. You're three. Well, you can go there, too. I'm not five. I'm six. You're six? Well, you got to go back and sit down with your parents or whoever you came with. Okay. I'm in the pulpit today. I've got to watch my gestures so I don't knock the microphone off. One of the most famous, if not the most famous, church in all the world is in Jerusalem, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. 
It was built on the site where many Christians believed Jesus' body was laid in the tomb after he was crucified. So it was built on the site where many people believe Mary Magdalene and the other women discovered an empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. So it is a church where Christians from all over the globe for generations, for hundreds, thousands of years, have made pilgrimage to worship and to be in that holy place. So you could say in some ways the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is a sign of our Christian unity, what unites us in the belief in Christ's death and resurrection. Except for that latter. Some of you, I know, have been to Jerusalem, and you've seen the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And so you've seen that on this, I think it's the second floor of the church, underneath a window, there's a ladder that's been there for 300 years, at least, because nobody can agree on what to do with it. You see, the church, uh, for since 1757, I think, there was an Ottoman sultan who declared that there are six denominations that had responsibility for the care of that church. Most of the most ancient denominations, the Armenian church, the Coptic church, the Roman Catholic church, and so forth. And that nothing in the church could be altered or moved or changed unless all of those six groups agreed. And they just can't agree on that ladder. So some poor brick worker left it there accidentally, and it's been there for centuries. Pope Paul VI in 1964 said that that ladder was a symbol of Christian disunity. We know the story all too well. Since the beginning days of the church, we Christians have not been very good at sticking together, at unity. Whenever I have an opportunity to teach church history, whether it's to the confirmation class or a new member class or whatever it may be, I find myself telling the story of the different splits. How the East split from the West in the 11th century, and then the Protestant Reformation, and then the Anglican Church split from the Catholic Church, and then the Methodist Church grew out of the Anglican Church, and then all the denominations that, that came as the United States became a nation. Until our day today, when you can go down Franklin Road and count the churches and run out of fingers and toes, and we have all different kinds of styles and uh, beliefs and theology and and a long history of split and schism and division. Sometimes those divisions are based on deep theological differences and different ways that we interpret scripture. Sometimes those differences and those splits happen because of matters of, of justice and fairness. In the early days of the Methodist movement, Richard Allen and other pastors who, who had been formerly enslaved were initially worshiping alongside one another with white and black and rich and poor and people of all classes until one day when a group of white pastors told these black pastors to get up off the kneeler and go sit in the balcony. And so they left to form their own church where they could kneel at the altar rails as they felt led. So sometimes splits happen because of things like that. And sometimes, of course, we all know churches divide over the color of the carpet or who likes which pastor. For reasons big and small, we, we have a hard time experiencing the unity of the church. And yet this morning, we, we all heard this third baptismal vow, a vow that we all make 
through the waters of baptism, that we would confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, put our whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as our Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to everybody. And yet this morning we hear these words of Jesus in chapter 17 of John's Gospel. This prayer of Jesus that his followers would all be one. He prays it not once, not twice, but three times in the words that Brant read for us. I pray that they would all be one, that they would all be one, that they would all be completely one. So what do we do with that? With our baptismal vow, with Jesus' prayer, and then with the reality of the church as we know it in our world? Do we just feel terrible? Do we just look at the gap between what Jesus prayed for and what we see and despair and think that there is no hope? Because we are human beings after all. We come from different cultures, different perspectives. We have different opinions. Surely there's no way we could all agree on everything. Well, maybe that's not exactly what Jesus was praying for. As I poured over this prayer this week, and I had all of these thoughts about the many ways that we Christians can be divided from one another, I actually found and heard hope in Jesus' words. I found hope in the idea that perhaps the union that Jesus is talking about is not a a unanimity, not a perfect agreement on every opinion, not even agreement about styles of worship or, or interpretation of scripture or any of those things. What Jesus seems to be talking about is a oneness in love. Did you hear the way John's gospel conveys these words of Jesus? There's this circular motion that, that goes throughout the text that Jesus is praying to the one he calls Father through the power of the Holy Spirit, as you and I are one and you are in me and I am in you and they, my followers, are in us. There's this union of love flowing between Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and us. We are invited into this communion of love. Is it possible that we can be one in love? John Wesley thought so. John Wesley said, if we cannot all think alike, may we not all love alike? John Wesley, the founder of our Methodist movement, preached a sermon entitled, The Catholic Spirit. Catholic meaning universal, not Roman Catholic, but the universal spirit, in which he said, we have lots of differences of opinions, I'm paraphrasing. You think this about baptism. You practice baptism this way, and and I think this and practice it this way. You look at communion this way, and I look at it this way. We practice it differently. You have your opinions about certain social issues, and I have my opinions. You keep your opinions, and I'll keep mine. But if you love God, and you seek to love your neighbor, and build a world that looks like the kingdom of God, then give me your hand and let us do that work side by side. So perhaps Jesus is talking about a union in love, 
a mystical, sweet communion, as we sang about in our hymn. Could we dream? Could we believe that is possible? The other thing that gives me hope in these words of Jesus is recognizing that they are part of a prayer. You see, the the Gospel of John is, is written in a very different way from the other three Gospels. It's 21 chapters long, and by chapter 13, we're at the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. We are in Jesus' final hours on earth. The 13th chapter, we'll be hearing a little bit next week. After the supper, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And then for the next few chapters, he teaches them. He gives them instructions. Love one another as I have loved you. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And then in chapter 17, he turns from his disciples and looks heavenward and begins to pray. So he's not talking to the disciples anymore. He's talking to his father. And he prays to God that all of his followers in his day and all of those who are to come, that's us, would all be one. So what if it is God's work to make us one? What if it is not we who have to grit our teeth and try to get along with each other and figure all this out so we all are on the same page? What if it is the work of God to make us one? And what if it is already accomplished? What if we are already one with all who claim to follow Christ today and throughout the centuries of the past? The Apostle Paul thought so. He said, all who are baptized are one in Christ already. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female. We are all one. If you read the second chapter of Ephesians, he dives into it even more deeply. So if we are already one, perhaps our calling is simply to live into it. No matter how we disagree no matter how strongly and deeply we disagree, to recognize every other follower of Christ as a member of our family and to treat them with love. That doesn't mean we will choose to worship in the same way or we will gather in communities in the same way or have the same beliefs or interpretations of scripture, but cannot we all love one another and take each other's hands? Is it possible that God could take our brokenness and our divisions and our schisms and through the power of God's love redeem them to make us one? Which brings me back to that ladder. So it's been there for 300 years now on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And in 1997, there was a Protestant who took it upon himself, there's a video out there, to climb through the window and pull the ladder out and hide it behind an altar, just to get rid of the problem himself. And a few days later, that ladder was back outside. And when he took the ladder, as I was watching on the video, I found myself being, oh, that's our ladder. That's our story. It's a sign that that all of these denominations are kind of respecting each other. Nobody wants to take it down without agreement from everybody. 
So maybe God has transformed this sign of Christian division into a, a sign of our unity. And maybe with the eyes of Christ, we can see glimpses of that mystic, sweet communion. Even in our day, even now. I invite you in these next few moments to join your prayers with Jesus that we might all be one and that we might have the eyes to see one another, to see all who follow Christ as our beloved family.